The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Morning, Steadfast. How are we? You're looking thinner already. I can tell. It's working. (laughs) Oh, so good to see you guys. If you are new around here, my name's Brian. I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor of Steadfast Church, and I'm just really glad that you would take some time to be with us this morning. Um, I say this a lot, but we're just a big dysfunctional family, and so you will fit right in. And uh, I hope that you feel uh, the the joy of Christ in this room. I I hope that you feel like you belong here. And... uh, when you're ready to let yourself be known, you know, there are ways to do that. There's a connect card and that kind of thing. But um, for now, just sit and be part of this thing, observe, uh, meet some people, and hopefully that you'll feel like this is a family that you could belong to. So uh, way to start off the new year. We're here in the room. And uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter eight. It's gonna take me a minute to get there, but that's where we're gonna be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's gonna be page 861 in the uh, Bibles in the pew rack there. So Acts chapter eight. The last 12 months have been wild. And uh, if you're new around here, I just want to quickly catch everybody up on on what's going on here uh, at Steadfast. Uh, Back in October of 2022, Bent Creek Baptist Church and Missio Day Church took independent votes. And uh, the combined total was 95.26, I think, percent that we should come together as one church. Missio Day, adopting the people of Ink Creek into the life of our congregation, uh, we agreed together that we wanted the the 122-year-old history, legacy of gospel faithfulness in this place to continue to the next generation. And so we did some minor renovations here, uh, including a roof and some of the stuff out there. And then Christmas Eve of 2022, we moved into this space. And on that first Sunday together, which was November something uh, of, last, of 2022, I said the vote was the easy part. As much time and effort and labor as that took for us to have all those conversations and and ask the Lord what his will was, the vote was actually the easy part. I said the hard part is before us, and that is to learn together how to become, how to feel like one family. And and that's the work that we've been um, pursuing for the last year. My charge to us was to stay low before the Lord, to remain open-handed, And you may remember me saying, I just don't see how if we will stay low before the Lord and open-handed with everything, how the Lord won't bless that. And he has, hasn't he? Over the last year, we have been learning together how to become one family. And God has been so incredibly kind to us. Um, The unity and the grace that we've experienced here together has been remarkable. I call it miraculous because you don't hear of churches Um, You you hear all the time, unfortunately, of churches splitting and dividing, denominations dividing, all that kind of thing. You rarely hear, sadly, about churches coming together, partnering together for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. And we get to be caught up in that together. And so I just want to celebrate with you. Some of this was at our membership meeting, members meeting, if you were there. And uh, I'm going to give you a lot of numbers right now, but I just want to celebrate with you what God has done among us here. Can I do that for a couple minutes before we get into the text? I mean, I'm going to, but I just want to ask (laughs) permission In 2023, 
uh, 11 people went public with their faith through the act of baptism here at Steadfast Church. It's amazing, right? We dedicated 15 children to the Lord here. Uh, of the, I don't know, there's 130 or 40 kids or something like that that are part of this congregation, maybe more. Um, 14 babies have been born in this church in the last year. So you are biblical people who are being fruitful and multiplying for the glory of God. Now, we, we went back to zero with membership for both churches, right? And started membership over again. We did a six-week series last year to sort of reinstitute membership. And over the course of the year, we saw 272 adults uh, commit themselves to covenant membership here at Steadfast Church. If you include their children, that's another 152. So I was wrong on my first thing, which brings us to around 424 people who are connected as members of this congregation. Praise God for that. There's over another 100 who would regularly attend Steadfast Church, which means we are somewhere between 525 and 550 people who would call Steadfast Church home. Can we give God praise for that? Appreciate the PGA clap for that. Uh, Here's why I mention this, okay? Here's why I mention this. I mention these numbers because each number represents a person made in the image of God. And every person has a story and every story matters to Jesus. And so I don't believe that God entrusted this building to us for us to remain content with just the few hundred people that show up on a Sunday. If you haven't noticed, there's huge sections of balconies still available, right? And and by God's grace, we would love to see more and more people come in here and meet Jesus and become part of this family for God's glory. I have no desire, hear me clearly, I have no desire to grow a big church, but I do wanna see as many people as possible come to know Christ. And I hope you do too. So if you're new around here, this is gonna be a good, uh, good month for you to be here because you're gonna learn all about who we are and maybe decide if you want to be part of this thing. Now, it became clear over the course of this year that the Lord was calling us to something fresh, okay? Um, when, when we came together, we basically just borrowed Missio Day's language in terms of mission and vision and values and all that kind of stuff. It was the expedient thing to do. And um, our mission never changes because Jesus gave it to us, right? It's the Great Commission, He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so that's our mission. We're going to stick to that mission. But God gives each church in each place a unique vision or dream of how they will execute that mission, how they will carry out that mission in their context. And so what we're doing this morning uh, is we're kind of coming back to square one. We're coming back to the beginning and we're just sort of redefining, okay, who God is calling us to be, where we are going in the future. And over the coming weeks, we'll sort of unveil a little bit more and a little bit more of that so that by the end of January, you have a full and complete picture as best as we know at the moment uh, of what we think God wants to do in and through us in the year 2024. Does that sound good? All right. So that brings us to Acts chapter eight. I'm gonna read for us uh, the first eight verses. You can follow along with me and, uh, and then I'll pray for us and we'll dive in and see what God has here in the time that we've got together. Acts chapter eight. <clears throat> and Saul approved of his, that's Stephen. I'll explain him in a minute. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise for your faithfulness to us in 2023. You have been exceedingly kind, not only to us as Steadfast Church, but to each of us individually. Though many of us have gone through trials and tribulations, some of us have experienced great loss, others of us have are just now entering um, the choppy waters. Others of us have experienced tremendous blessing and abundance, and you are in all of that. As we've already seen and talked about through our liturgy and singing this morning, um, our circumstances do not determine the joy that we have in the Lord. And, And you sovereignly ordain both hardship and blessing and even the hardship is blessing and so Lord in this time together as we look at the book of Acts Holy Spirit I pray that you would do what only you can do which is to show us the beauty and glory of Jesus I pray that we would be able to focus our hearts and minds on your word and that you would meet us wherever we are with whatever hurts or doubts or questions that are in our hearts and minds this morning, that you would meet us there and in your kindness, that you would make Christ all the more real to our hearts. So Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, we ask all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. So the book of Acts is all about what it looks like when the power of God is unleashed through his people, the church. And it begins in chapter one with Jesus who has um, died and risen again. He is ascending back to the father and he tells his disciples, hey, wait here for power that's going to come from the Holy Spirit. Power comes, the Holy Spirit falls in chapter two and Peter starts proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and thousands upon thousands of people uh, give their lives to Christ. And we see from really chapters three to seven, this pattern developing in the book of Acts of opposition from outside and challenge from within. So uh, people 
you know, beating up disciples and telling them not to proclaim the gospel and, and really opposed to the message of Jesus. And then challenge from, from inside because there are people uh, who are sinners, shocker, in the church and, uh, and they hurt one another and they, there's missteps and there's untruth and there's things that need to be clarified within that church uh, family. And so we see this pattern of opposition and challenge, but we also see power and growth. We see people healed and saved. We see the church multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and thousands and then tens of thousands of people coming to know Jesus. And it all culminates in chapter seven. In chapter seven, we see the, the, the first Christian martyr, his name is Stephen, unless you want to count Jesus as the first martyr, uh, but he, he, but he's, he lives, okay? So he's not the martyr. Stephen gives his life for the cause of Christ. Now, Stephen is just an average, ordinary guy like you and me. He's not, a, he's not an apostle. He's not a superhero, okay? He's just a guy who loves Jesus and loves the gospel, and he says the gospel to some Jewish people who don't like it, and they murder him. By the way, in our world today, 2024, it's estimated that one in every seven Christians globally are the victims of persecution, either direct or indirect persecution. That's 360 million Christians around the world who suffer persecution, and around 6,000 a year give their lives for the cause of Christ. So let's be a people who pray for the persecuted church around the world. Let's be a people who are on our knees for our brothers and sisters who are actually risking their lives to gather with people right now, risking their lives to proclaim the gospel uh, to those who don't yet know it. And here in the book of Acts, in, in chapter eight, it's the first time that we meet Saul. Now, you, many of you know this, but if you don't, spoiler, Saul gets saved in chapter nine and he becomes the apostle Paul who actually becomes a church planter, writes most of the New Testament, I think 14 of the 20. Uh, six, seven books of the New Testament and, um, and ends up himself being a Christian martyr. Um, but, but here in the book of Acts in chapter eight, he hates Jesus. He is a zealous person for the, for the Jewish faith. Uh, he, he calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, he he um, hates Jesus. He hates this movement called the church and he is doing everything he can to oppose it. And so he begins this wave of violent persecution against the church. Okay. Now, what we see here is it tells us in the first couple of verses, we'll look at them again. Saul approved of Stephen's execution and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which is by the way, exactly where Jesus told them they'd be witnesses. I'll get back to that in a second, except for the apostles. Now, why wouldn't the apostles scatter? Listen, it's a noble thing to be willing to die for your faith, but if everybody dies for their faith, then the faith stops, Right? And so the apostles, they're like the captains of the ship and they're gonna go down with the ship. So they stay in Jerusalem and they endure the persecution, but the other Christians, they scatter and they flee to places like Judea and Samaria. If you just wanna flip back real quick, I wanna show you something, Acts chapter one. In Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Isn't it fascinating that Acts chapter eight, verse one, is what leads to the fulfillment of Acts chapter one, verse eight. It is the persecution against the Christian church. It's the pressure against the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem that actually leads to them being witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How many of you know that oftentimes God 
brings progress through pain. If I passed a mic around, a, a whole lot of you could attest to how God met you and grew you and, and you made major progress in your faith and your trust of Jesus through the pain you endured. And in the same way, this church, this fledgling movement called the Christian church is making progress through the pain that it endures. Now look here with me at verse uh, three and four. Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. So he's going to like community groups and busting them up and throwing everybody in jail. By the way, we have a community group meet and greet in a couple weeks. <laughs> I hope you'll come to that. <clears throat> in verse four, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. By the way, thank you. I didn't, I'm kind of out of the habit of this. I didn't give you my point. My point for this first section was simply this, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Those who are scattered, the believers who have left Jerusalem, they scatter to places like Judea and Samaria and other places, and they don't hide. They don't bury their heads in the sand. They don't scale back. They don't keep quiet. And I find that absolutely incredible. They have just seen one of their brothers, Stephen, die for the faith. It's one thing to get a punch in the eye. It's another thing to be murdered, right? So they've endured some of the hardship of, of being assaulted and thrown in jail, but now someone has given their life and they could easily go to Judea and set up shop and just be like, I'm gonna follow Jesus privately, right? But they don't do that. The scattered, it says, they continued, went about preaching the word. Now, the word preaching here is not like what I'm doing right now. It's simply the word evangelism. That they were evangelizing, which means that the people who scattered, they were sharing the good news about Jesus in the regular sort of everyday rhythms of their lives, right? With their neighbors, with their family, friends, coworkers, when they were at the grocery store or at a restaurant, right? I mean, it's just the everyday normal at the gym. They just were going about sharing about Jesus in the normal rhythms of their lives. It wasn't the apostles. The apostles are still back in Jerusalem. This is everyday ordinary believers like you and me. And God is using them to proclaim, to preach the word. You know, one reason, I should probably take a drink. I've been holding this for a while. One reason why Christianity spread so far and so fast in the first century is because every Christian took the gospel with them everywhere they went. They didn't leave it up to the professionals. They didn't leave it up to the apostles and the prophets. They said, you know what? I know Jesus. Jesus has changed my life. I know the gospel story and I am gonna share that story with as many people as I possibly can. Anyone who will listen to me, I will proclaim it to them. Acts reminds us that if you and I are saved, we are sent. No matter your age, no matter your stage. No one is too young to proclaim the gospel of Jesus to other people. And guess what? Nobody gets to retire from the mission of God. Retirement is called heaven. You preach the gospel, you die, and you get to meet Jesus in person. What a good deal. Now, here's, here's the reality. There are people in every one of our lives that no one else in this room can reach for Jesus. 
God has placed you uniquely in relationships. Maybe it's your family members, right? I've said this for years. Your number one mission field is your home. And so those of you with young kids, that's your primary mission field is those little buggers who get on your last nerve, right? Little midget demons run around your house <laughs> who need to be redeemed, right? God's placed you in your classes. He's placed you in your neighborhood. He's placed you at your job. He's placed you at your gym, your coffee shop, the places that you spend your time. And there is no one else in this room who can reach those people the way that you can. Imagine what would happen. Imagine if God would choose to use you and me to lead someone else to a relationship with Jesus. Just in, look, I'm not saying, you know, you call for a meeting and you have to sit down very somberly over coffee or some other beverage and be like, listen, you're gonna go to hell unless I tell you this, so let me get this out of the way. I'm saying in the everyday normal rhythms of your life, just talking about what you love. And you love Jesus. So it just sort of comes out of you. You know? Imagine, what, imagine if God would allow you. He would entrust you with the opportunity to lead someone else to a relationship with the king of the universe through the gospel of Christ. What, what a privilege. What a privilege. Okay, so they're proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, you guys with me so far? This side of the room's with me. How about you guys? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Look at verse five again. I want you to see here, for the joy of all people. For the joy of all people. That's my second point. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. The joy of all people. Philip is a Greek-speaking Jew, and he was a co-laborer with Stephen. They were uh, you know, just everyday normal guys. Uh, they did become deacons in the church. It just meant servant, okay? Um, but Philip heads to Samaria, which is a big deal, okay? Now, Jesus said, you're gonna be my witnesses in all Ju Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But honestly, I don't know that the Jews really believed that they were gonna go there because the Jews hated the Samarians, <coughs> the Samaritans. They, the, the Samaritans, I don't have time to get into it, but they were considered by the Jewish people to be unclean and impure because they were, they were um, essentially half-breeds. They were not pure Israelites, okay? They had, they had, um, uh, they had built families with, with another group of people. And so they, they were unclean, they were impure. Many of the Samaritans had what was considered by the Jews sort of a fringe theology, okay? Uh, think about that one person you know who has some wacko ideas about Jesus. Uh, if you don't know anybody, it's because you're the one with wacko ideas about Jesus. But they were also, because they were, they were not pure Israelites, so they were sort of shunned by the Israelites, but they were also shunned by the Gentiles because they weren't fully Gentile. So they were kind of caught in the middle and didn't have any place of belonging besides themselves. But here's the thing about Samaria. Jesus had gone there. You remember the, the woman at the well? She was a Samaritan. And Jesus went there and he met her. He had a heart for Samaritans. And the disciples are, are just now starting, and this will unfold more in Acts chapter 10, 
but they're just starting to understand that this good news of Jesus is not just for Jewish people, it's for all people. And so Philip goes to them. He engages them right where they are, and he proclaims Christ to them, which means he is declaring to them the good news of Jesus, his perfect, sinless life, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came here in our humanity, experienced the weakness and the temptation that every human being experiences, but he was without sin. He was perfect and blameless and above reproach because none of us could be. And that Jesus uh, took on himself all of our failure in sin, uh, all of the times that we've looked at God and said, I have a better way. I know you're the creator and sustainer of all things, but I I have some ideas myself on this. All of our foolishness, all of our stupidity, Jesus took all of that on himself, all all that that the Bible calls sin, which is worthy of the wrath and the judgment of God. Jesus took it on himself and on the cross of Christ as the nails went through his hands and his feet and the crown was placed on his head and he suffocated in his own blood. Jesus died for you and for me. He took all of your sin and shame and guilt on himself. He absorbed all of that wrath and he turned it into the favor of God towards all those who would come to him with empty hands of faith. But Jesus didn't just die. On the third day, Jesus rose from the grave. He returned that grave like a, like a library book because he didn't need that thing no more. And, and he Um, proved that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sin of the world. He rose again. He now rules and reigns in heaven and will come back one day to judge the living and the dead. And so Philip is declaring this message of the good news of Jesus, but he's also, notice, demonstrating the reality of the kingdom. People are being healed. Demons are being Uh, cast out people who are lame are are walking again because in the kingdom of God there is no sickness there is no sin there is no death there is no pain we see that in revelation right there's no more tears and so Philip is being used by God to bring the kingdom of God to the earth and people are actually experiencing physical healing and, and and oppression is 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 being cast away. Now, it seems that the Holy Spirit did uniquely empower Philip in this instance to supernaturally heal people, right? Restore people who were paralyzed and lame and to cast out demons. But you and I are also called by God to seek the healing of people. And I want to give you an example. Again, I'll talk about Samaritans really quickly uh, in the Gospels, and we'll get to this actually in a few weeks, probably. Um, In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about the good Samaritan. We, hear, we know that story. Even if you're not really familiar with church or Bible, you might have heard of the good Samaritan. And what does the good Samaritan do? He finds a man uh, who's been robbed and beaten up and is laying bloody in the road, and, and he pursues the healing of this man. Now, there's nothing supernatural about it. He picks him up, puts him on his donkey or whatever it is, takes him to the inn, you know, puts oil and bandages on his wounds and pays for the, uh, the inn so the man can get well. There's nothing supernatural about that, is there? but there's a whole lot of Jesus in that. And so you and I are called to seek the healing of others, to seek the good, the welfare of our city into which we have been sent. There's all kinds of ways to seek healing. There's all kinds of ways we'll be um, reminding you that we are involved in, in bringing healing to both our city and the world. 
But verse six says, with one accord. I love that idea, right? Unison. With one accord, they were, they were paying attention to what was being said by Philip. The Holy Spirit was causing people to lock in on, on what Philip was saying. And the text is not explicit here, but I think we can rightly infer that believers, that there were people in Samaria who were repenting of sin and receiving the good news of Jesus with the empty hands of faith and were finding not only physical healing, but spiritual redemption, eternal life, because they were locked in on the good news of Jesus. And so it says here, so there was much joy in that city. I cannot get enough of that line. There was much joy in that city. Where did the joy come from, church? The good news of Jesus. I don't believe the joy was because they experienced some physical healing. The joy was because they had eternal life. The joy was because their sin was forgiven. The joy was because they met the king of the world, the king of the universe, the king of the ages, the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And, and, and so here, here's where we're going. Uh, as I said earlier this year, it kind of became clear that the Lord was, was not pushing us in a different direction, just a little, a little, a little change of direction. And... Um, I have this Bible reading plan I've been pushing to you guys for a while now. By the way, there's copies available outside. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But um, it's just a simple five-day-a-week reading plan, okay? And back around March, uh, I was reading back through, and uh, I came across the Gospel of Luke. Now, everybody knows that Christmas passage, Luke 2, right? When the angels show up to the shepherds. And what is the declaration of the angels? The angel says to the shepherds, Fear not, for I bring you good news that will be of great joy for all the people. And the joy piece of that had never really dropped with me. And so I started thinking about that and I just could not escape Luke 2, 10. It just kept resonating with me over and over and over again. And then um, in the summer, it was probably June-ish, our staff and elders started talking about, hey, what has God up to here? Maybe there's something new, fresh that he's doing among us. And we started rethinking and, and, and praying about, okay, what's the direction? What's the vision? What's the dream that we have for our specific congregation? Again, the mission never changes. We make disciples. That's what God has called us to do. But, but what's, what's it look like to make disciples here at Steadfast Church? And so uh, we get, we're just praying and seeking the Lord. And, um, and I had a, a little personal retreat back in August. And so uh, a family in our church, who's very kind and gracious, allowed me to use uh, a little house they have. And I, I went up there on this mountain and I was just seeking the Lord by myself for a couple days. And uh, I don't know if you've ever done that. It, I hate doing it because I'm an extrovert and I like people and like being by myself with God is like, Ugh! And, uh, but it's also so good for me. Can I be that honest in church? I don't know. <laughs> so I'm there and, and, and day one goes by and there's a lot of things I'm praying about, but one of them is, is this clarity of this vision for this church, right? And day two goes by and still just fuzzy. And, and then day three comes, and you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I remember just journaling out like, Lord, okay, I, who am I to put you on a timetable, right? Like, you'll, it'll come when it comes, but, but I'm, I'm here and I'm open, I'm listening. And I go back to my little Bible reading plan I was like, well, I got nothing else to do. I'll just read some more scripture. And um, 
And there was one particular week, um, and that day it had me in Isaiah 60 to 63, and I don't know if you know math, but 61's in the middle of that, Isaiah 61. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you don't know uh, Isaiah 61, it's what Jesus preaches from in Luke chapter 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, right? And casting out and receiving sight to the, the blind and all that. And if you keep reading in Isaiah 61, he talks a whole lot about the joy of the people. Well, then I go over to 2 Corinthians 1, and Paul is saying some hard things to the church in Corinth. And he says, hey, but we're here to work with you for your joy. And it's like all of a sudden scales fell off my eyes and it was like, that's it. That's it. And so I started scouring the scriptures again for, for the, the word joy and rejoice. You know what I found? 430 times in the ESV translation, that's what I preach from, the English standard, over 430 times the words joy, rejoice, joyful are mentioned. That's a big deal, by the way. That's a lot of times. It's a major theme in the Bible. And I don't have time, but if I did, I'd go over 20 or so verses with you that talk about the joy of the people, specifically joy as a result of the salvation of the people, right? The joy of his salvation. And so I started remembering places uh, like here in Acts 8, when the gospel comes to the city and there's much joy in that city. I started thinking about places like Acts chapter 13, when the Jews reject the gospel, the Gentiles go, wait, this could be for us too? And it says they rejoice with great joy. And then all the people, it says, were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, that's it. Like, what else should we pursue but the joy of the people, right? Through the salvation that comes because of Jesus. And so um, back there in August, I scribbled down in my journal these, these words, and I, I came back, quite honestly, thinking, all right, this is sort of rough draft. We'll work it out with the rest of the team here. Um, and, and even up till last night, we couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> so here it is. You can put it up on the screen. We exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus for the joy of all people to the ends of the earth. If steadfast church is going to be known for anything, let it be this. We exist to proclaim the good news of Jesus for the joy of all people to the ends of the earth. Now, let me quickly just summarize what, what I think that means for us, um, and then we'll flesh it out in the coming weeks. Um, the good news of Jesus is the motivation for everything that we do here at Steadfast Church. We are gospel people. Because the gospel is the only real way that real sinners find real forgiveness and real freedom in a real savior. It's the good news of Christ. His life, his death, his resurrection for sinners like you and me. And so we want to be a people. We want to help you be a people who know the good news, who love the good news, who dwell in the good news, who center our lives around the good news of Jesus and who learn how to proclaim the good news of Jesus to anyone who will hear. Which means we're gonna be a people of the book. We're gonna be a people of the gospel and I'll flesh more of that out um, for you next week. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Secondly, for the joy of all people. Now, if you are in the room and you're part of all people, this is for you. <laughs> this is for young people and old people. This is for rich people and poor people. This is for married people and single people. This is for able-bodied people and disabled people. This is for all people. 
This is for white people and black people and brown people and every kind of people in between. And, and you have to know this, and I think many of you do, joy is distinct from happiness. Because happiness is dependent on your happenings or your circumstances, right? So when your happenings are happening well, you're happy. When your happenings are not happening so well, you ain't happy. By the way, happiness is only mentioned 10 times in this book. Joy, 430. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. Which means there's a unique, there's a unique privilege to experiencing joy because it can only come by the Spirit of God. And joy, joy is a deep and abiding confidence in God that sustains us in any and every circumstance, which is why I love that uh, Micah read for us Romans chapter five this morning. Um, it's almost like we planned it that way, but we didn't actually. Um, he, he just put it in the liturgy on his own. Um, let me just reread it for us really quickly and then um, I promise I'm almost done. Romans five, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the our Lord Jesus Christ, though we have, um, through him, we also have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So listen, I don't know what 2024 is gonna bring you, and I certainly am not going to promise that God is gonna bring you lots of abundance and happiness, but I can guarantee that if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you and you will have joy no matter what. For the joy of all people. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians 1, we want to work with you for your joy. I am not naive enough to think that everyone in this room is experiencing the joy of the Lord. And it's okay if you aren't, but be honest about it and let's work with you for your joy. And for theirs, by the way, for the people outside of this room. And so that's where we get to the ends of the earth. This is how Acts begins. We read that, right? Acts chapter one, verse eight. You will be my witnesses. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I, I need to remind you, church, that a church primarily is not a place. It's not a building. It's not an institution. The church primarily is a movement of the people of God. A movement of the people of God who are seeking first the kingdom of God, who are hungry for the word of God, who are loving one another as the family of God, who are building one another up in the fullness of God, who are depending wholeheartedly on the spirit of God with a sense of urgency for the mission of God all for the glory of God. That's what a church is. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. To see the good news of Jesus move from our neighborhoods to the nations. Why? Why, why do we even care? Hebrews reminds us, for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And it's often been said that the only thing that Jesus did not have on this side of the cross was you. 
that he endured the cross to get you, to save you, to redeem you, that in some sense, you were the joy set before him. That's wild. I don't even know how to make sense of that. But, but what on earth is more worth our time? What on earth, what cause in this world is more worthy to give our lives to than to see the good news of Jesus being proclaimed to the ends of the earth for the joy of all people? And so in the coming weeks, we're going to talk more practically about how we move forward into this vision. Um, but for this morning, I just want to leave you with three questions and just sort of let this sit, uh, and then we'll, we'll get down to more granular level next week. So um, I've got three questions. They're going to be popped up on the screen here. You can take a picture of the screen if you want. You can write them down as they come. If you're new around here, I often end my sermons with uh, questions just for you to take something out the door uh, for, for prayer and for conversation. So first question is this. Is the good news of Jesus good news to me? And I want you to be dead serious about this. Like if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who has not surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Christ, who has not received by the empty hands of faith the finished work of Jesus for them, if the good news is not good news to you, it can be today. Today can be the day of salvation. If you've sensed anything in your spirit of the Lord sort of wooing you, drawing you to himself, you can sit right there in your seat and you can say, Lord, I don't know, I don't know a lot about this, but, but, but I am convinced that you are the savior, that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I ask you to save me. And he'll do it. And the good news of Christ and his life and his death and his re resurrection can become good news to you this morning. So is the good news of Jesus good news to me? Don't leave here without settling the answer to that question. And after the gathering, we'll have people down here who would love to pray for you if you're wrestling through that. Uh, second question is this. Am I walking in the joy of the Lord that has been promised to me in the scripture? Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I have a sense that there's a lot of us in the room who would say, it's been a long time since I've experienced the joy of the Lord like that. I feel weak. I feel weary. And what better time than the start of the new year to be reinvigorated with the joy of the Lord? And we'd love to pray for you to that end. Am I walking in the joy of the Lord that's been promised to me in the scripture? He promises his joy. Particularly as we abide in him. That's what John 15 says. Abide in me and you will have fullness of joy. My, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. We're going to talk more about that this year as well. And then the third question, final question is this. What's one step? What's one step that Jesus is calling me to take this year to grow closer to him? Is there any conviction I have? Maybe it's about just attending here more regularly or getting into a group or a Bible study or a class. Maybe it's, you know, being baptized or reading my Bible, you know, consistently for the first time. I have this beautiful Bible reading plan I'd love to talk to you about. I get no commissions off this either. I just love it. But is there a step? Is there one step that Jesus might be calling me to take this year that will um, allow me to grow closer to him, to draw nearer to him so that my joy will be more full in him. All right, um, I'm going to leave these questions on the screen for you. I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to invite you to the Lord's table. Uh, we, we practice communion here at Steadfast Church every week um, because we need it. <laughs> and there's nothing magic that happens at these tables. It's simply a, a symbol and a sign and a reminder 
Um, but I do believe there's, there's grace for us here as we come to these tables and we remember what Jesus Christ has done for us, that his body was broken in order to make us whole, that his blood was spilled to cleanse us from all sin and unrighteousness, that as we come forward to these tables, we are, we are taking a step of faith. We're also t- remembering the joy that has been promised to us in Christ. And so um, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to these tables. You don't have to come, but you're welcome to come. We'll start with the back rows and I'll make our way down. There's um, bread here. By the way, all these crackers uh, are uh, gluten-free, so you don't have to worry about allergy there. Um, uh, you can take the, the cracker, dip into the juice or the wine, whatever your conscience allows um, as an invitation from, from Jesus. Come and feast, right? And remember what I've done for you. That my, that my joy might be in you. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats to come up these back walls, uh, you go back to your seats. There are two black boxes on these back tables here in the back that are forgiving if you're a regular around here and want to give towards the, the, the mission of God um, through this church. You can do that. If you're new and want to be known, you can drop a connect card in there or a prayer card. The backside of those connect cards are for prayer. And so um, I'm just going to pray for us. We're going to have a moment of silence, um, just stillness before the Lord. And then um, when I get up, when my family gets up, that'll be the, the sign that the, the tables are open and so those of you on the back row can start making your way forward and we'll take communion. Uh, Micah and the band are gonna lead us in I believe three songs uh, and then I'll come up and give us a couple last announcements and a benediction and we will be on our way. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us. Thank you for uh, just allowing us to hear from you about a revised um, vision that Lord, we, we wanna be about the joy of all people through the good news of Jesus Christ. We, we um, are eager to experience that joy for ourselves and to see other people who even this morning are waking up um, apart from you, uh, waking up confused, waking up depressed, waking up anxious, waking up thinking that life is not worth living. We wanna see those people experience the joy of, of knowing Jesus Christ. And so would you do far more abundantly than all that we could even ask or imagine in us and through us for your glory this year and in the years to come. We are here to serve you, Lord Jesus. And so use us as you see fit. Thank you. And Lord, as we respond now with communion, with giving, with singing, with worshiping you in song, would you be honored and glorified? Would you fill us with joy in your presence? We ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit, we pray.